invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 12. Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Great God of heaven, we come humbly before you this night. We thank you, O God, that this same gospel that was entrusted to the apostle, you have seen fit in your wisdom and in your goodness to cause to be written down and preserved for us, for your church, throughout these many ages and generations. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this message of glad tidings. We thank you for our Savior, by whom we have been reconciled to you, O God. And we pray now as we would come to your word, that you would open our minds and our hearts. Father, we confess our neediness. We need your Spirit, O God. We ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. We ask that you would be with us in a powerful way. And that you would have heart dealings with each one of us in this room tonight. God, you know our particular needs. You know our particular weaknesses and sins. And Father, we pray that you would come and bring encouragement and exhortation and even rebuke if needed. Lord, we lay ourselves before you and we ask that you would come now in power and speak to us by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Have you ever been the recipients of bad news? News that so shocked and troubled you that it nearly consumed you? The Apostle Paul was the recipient of such news. He had just departed from the Roman province of Galatia, where he had planted churches on his first missionary journey. You could imagine the joy that was in his heart as as he recounted the gracious blessings of God upon his gospel preaching and the many sinners who had come to faith in Christ. Luke tells us in the book of Acts that Paul's labors in Galatia, that through them, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region and that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Paul's heart was surely filled with hope and great expectation for how the Lord would use these newly established churches for his glory. But shortly after he left the region of Galatia, Paul received news. News that shook him to the core of his being. You see, upon Paul's departure from Galatia, false teachers had infiltrated the churches in Galatia. Teachers who were seeking to undermine the ministry and the message of the Apostle Paul. These false teachers, often called Judaizers, were most likely zealous Jews who had converted to Christianity but had failed to grapple with the free and the full gospel that had been proclaimed by the Apostle. They believed that to become a Christian, you first had to become a Jew and that Christianity was a modified form of Judaism. They taught, as we see in Acts 15.1, that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The news that troubled Paul was not so much concerning the false teachers themselves, but rather concerning the influence of their teaching upon the churches that he had planted in this region. The believers in this place were on the verge of denying the very gospel that Paul had authoritatively proclaimed to them and which they had joyfully embraced. They were succumbing to a subtle gospel distortion. And so Paul, with unsettled anguish, takes up his pen and he writes this letter to them. Having greeted the churches in verses 1 through 5, Paul gets right to the point. He doesn't waste any time here. It's customary, if you're familiar with Paul's letters, for him to open them with a word of thanksgiving or a commendation for the churches that he's writing to or to write a prayer of blessing. But rather than a commendation, we find here a rebuke. Rather than a prayer for blessing, here we encounter the pronouncement of a curse. This gracious gospel rebuke in verses 1 through 9 
consists of four elements. We have a crime, a call, a claim, and a curse. The Apostle utilizes all four of these sobering realities to set before the eyes of the Galatians the utter folly of their apostasy. He begins his rebuke by stating his amazement. He says, I am astonished. Paul is distressingly shocked by the news he has received concerning the churches in Galatia. The reason for his shock is that they are so quickly deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ. The apostle had scarcely left the region of Galatia after establishing the churches there, only to hear that they were so quickly casting aside the gospel of free grace. It is likely here that Paul is alluding to Exodus 32, which uses very similar language to speak of the apostasy of the Israelites. God said to Moses in Exodus 32, verse 8, They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Do you remember the scene? God had set his electing covenant love upon Israel as his firstborn son, as his chosen possession. He had miraculously delivered Israel from their bondage in Egypt and destroyed the Egyptians in the waters of the Red Sea. He graciously and patiently provided food and water for them in the wilderness. He protected them from their foes and went before them as their sun and their shield. He covenanted with them on Sinai giving them His law that they might know how to live before Him. They heard His powerful voice. God's voice they heard from the mount. And they had sealed this very covenant with their own vow. Exodus 24, verse 3. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And after all of this gracious working of God towards these undeserved sinners, God once again calls Moses up on the mount to receive the tablets of stone and instructions regarding the building of the tabernacle. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses remained on the mount as God's glory descended upon it. And within a mere 40 days, days. A mere 40 days. Think about it. Think of all that God has done for the Israelites. And in a mere 40 days, these Israelites went from trembling before God and vowing obedience to God to altogether forsaking God and making an idol, a golden calf, which they bowed down to and worshipped as their Redeemer. 
This is astonishing when you think about it. And, and this was the same astonishment that the apostle was experiencing. An astonishment birthed from the Galatians so quick and speedy apostasy. Paul had hardly left the southern region of Galatia before these Christians began to mold a golden calf and worship it as their Redeemer. This ought to be a sobering reality for us here tonight, friends. It's rather easy for us to read of Israel or to read of the Galatians and to think, how could they be so foolish? And it's true, they were foolish. But we need to read the apostasy of Israel and the Galatians as a mirror of sorts. A mirror which exposes our own native proneness to wander from God and His truth. These were apostolic churches. The Apostle Paul had planted these churches by his own preaching. Thus, let us not think that we are somehow impervious to the danger of gospel desertion. Surely, if the history of the church teaches us anything, it is that doctrinal decline and gospel distortion are always a threat to the people of God. How many denominations began with pure gospel doctrine and have now gone so far off the rails that they can no longer be rightly called Christian? And this happens not only to denominations, but to individual Christians, believers. We live in a world of idolatrous, false religions which vie for our allegiance and attention. We have a powerful foe, whoever seeks our destruction. And on top of this, we have remaining corruption and unbelief within our own breasts. We must take heed to ourselves and to our doctrine, sensing our own weakness and casting our souls upon Christ, lest we too be swept up in the winds of false teaching. The verb translated in the ESV as deserting refers to a turncoat. Turncoat is not a term that we typically use today, but it, it powerfully illustrates the point that the Apostle Paul is making here. It's a military term, a term used to describe a soldier who deserts his loyalty to his native country and joins the ranks of an opposing nation, thus changing his uniform coat to match that of the enemy. The Galatians were becoming turncoats, deserting their allegiance to the biblical apostolic gospel and joining the ranks of the false teachers and their false gospel. It's of great importance that we note that the verb here, deserting, is in the present tense. This is a very important thing. Because if, if the apostle would have spoken in the past tense, it would have denoted that this desertion was finished and done. 
But by using the present tense, he indicates that while the Galatians were currently contemplating and beginning to fall into such apostasy, there was still hope of their deliverance. Dr. Machen paraphrases this verse as saying, You are falling away from the gospel, and I am writing to stop you. Thus Paul sets before them their crime. They were deserting the gospel. But he speaks of this gospel defection in intensely personal terms. I don't know if you notice that. It's, it's rather beautiful the way that he speaks of it. He speaks of it in terms of a call. It was not simply a deserting of the message of free grace, but it was a deserting of Him who called you in the grace of Christ. This is a clear reference to the Father who had called them through the proclamation of the Gospel into union and communion with Jesus Christ. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul teaches us in verse 4 that we were saved according to the will of the Father. In verse 5, that we were saved unto the glory of the Father. And in verse 6, that we were saved through the calling of the Father. And this idea of calling is a powerful element in Paul's rebuke. The point he is making is that to reject the apostolic gospel is to reject God himself. Yes, the Galatians were deserting the gospel, but what a fearful reality that in deserting this message, they were ultimately deserting the gracious God who had called them by it. For Paul God and the gospel in this present age are so intimately intertwined that to reject the one is to reject the other and to embrace the one is to embrace the other. By turning from this gospel, they were turning from God. My Christian friends, this ought to be a powerful motivation to us to remain steadfast in our embrace of the glad tidings of Jesus Christ. When you heard the gospel onto your salvation, think about this, when you heard the gospel and God saved you by it. God Himself, the God who created you, the God who made all things, the God who is upholding us right now, He Himself was calling you, beckoning you, impelling you to come to Him, to come into the grace of Jesus Christ. And having been called by Him, through this message, if you now turn away from this message, you turn away from Him. Paul is saying, friends, do you not see that you are not simply rejecting my message or me, but you are rejecting the God of all grace 
and all glory. He wants us to sense how profoundly foolish apostasy is. Paul then goes on in verse 6 to make a claim concerning his gospel and the false teaching these Christians were embracing. The Galatians were being duped into believing a gospel distortion. They were, according to Paul, turning to a different gospel. It was a gospel that said you must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must observe certain days, months, and years in order to be saved. Ultimately, you must become a Jew in order to be saved. It was a message of salvation by grace plus human merits, by faith plus works. A message of salvation by Christ plus Moses. Paul calling it a different gospel is quick to clarify in verse 7, saying, not that there is another one. Paul calls it a gospel not because it was really a legitimate gospel, but because that is, is what it was being presented as by the false teachers. This different gospel was no gospel at all but was rather a sick perversion and heretical distortion of the only true gospel. Thus, one commentator called it a no-gospel gospel. This is the claim that he heralds to his hearers. There is only one gospel. And regardless of what these Judaizers were alleging to proclaim, it has no gospel in it. By proclaiming this distorted gospel, Paul says that these false teachers were troubling the Galatian Christians. This word denotes agitating and confusing it's used in Acts 15.24 in the letter written by the Jerusalem Council addressing similar, maybe even the same, false teachers. The letter says, We have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds. These false teachers were unsettling the minds of the Galatian Christians. Where before there was gospel comfort and clarity, these false teachers had brought agitation and confusion by their false teaching. This word troubled probably denotes not only a confusing of the mind, but a troubling of the conscience as the Judaizers sought to place an unbearable yoke upon the necks of these Christians, subjecting them under a principle of works in order to merit salvation before God. There's no good news here, friends. This was a counterfeit gospel that was being proclaimed and that was being embraced. If you go to the grocery store tomorrow and you get your groceries, you're in the checkout and the cashier is getting all your items into the bags and you, you go to pay for your groceries, you reach into your pocket 
and you pull out Monopoly money and you go to pay, you're most likely going to get laughed at. It's, it's obvious that Monopoly money looks nothing like the real thing. But what's so threatening and troubling about counterfeit money is that it looks so much like the real thing. So much so that it's hard to really know whether it is or not. These Judaizers weren't coming to the Galatians with monopoly money. They were coming with a message that looked very much like the real thing. They probably would have said things like, salvation is only in Jesus Christ. And salvation is only by grace through faith. But then they would have added something like this. While this is true, and while this is what Paul is teaching, Paul, Paul has failed to remember something, and that is that all throughout covenant history, God has always dealt with His people in the same way. And, and when, when, when Gentiles wanted to become a part of the covenant people of God, well, they had to be circumcised, and they had to submit themselves to the law. And, and that hasn't changed. So, yes, you need to believe in Jesus. Yes, it's by grace. Yes, it's through faith. But, but you also need to do this. You need to be circumcised if you want to be saved. This was a message that detracted from the glory of Christ. A message that sought to add to the redemption which he accomplished. And thus for the Apostle Paul, it was no gospel at all. Paul wants to impress this upon our minds and our hearts tonight. There is no other gospel the gospel by which you and I have been saved is an exclusive gospel. There's only one way by which sinful man can be reconciled to God. And it's not by working. It's not by doing. It's not by circumcision. It's not by the ceremonial law. It's by the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save us from our sins, and from God's wrath. Apart from Him, there is no hope. And there's no other message by which we come to know Him but this apostolic gospel. Thus, if you reject this message and embrace some other message, you're lost. I'm lost. And this is exactly where Paul moves as he pronounces a double curse upon any who would pronounce a different gospel. Verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
The apostle is not writing this letter to false teachers. He's addressing Christians. He's writing to the believers in Galatia. And so, why would he pronounce eternal destruction upon those who were distorting the gospel? Paul is here, I think, seeking to impress upon these believers the monumental and eternal ramifications of such gospel distortion. The end of the Judaizers is nothing less than anathema. And this is not only the case for the false teachers, but it is likewise true for those who believe and embrace a perverted gospel. They too will fall under the divine curse. Implicit in this twofold pronouncement is a warning to the Galatians. A warning that there is a curse awaiting those who obey not the apostolic gospel. God had called the Galatians into the grace of His beloved Son. Think about this. It was just this grace, the unmerited, demerited, salvific favor and kindness of God that they were turning aside from by embracing the legalistic teaching of the Judaizers. And Paul is warning them that to believe a different message is to be cut off from Christ. This is what he says in Galatians 5, 4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. God had called these Christians into union and communion with Christ. They had been united to Him, married to Christ, one with Christ. And Paul is saying, if you believe a different gospel, if you turn away from this message I proclaimed to you, you're severed from Christ. You're cut off from Him. The One who is the source of all salvation. If the Galatians embrace this false gospel, they would be cut off from Christ. And, and this is nothing more and nothing less than being devoted to destruction. Being devoted under to the judicial wrath of God. Paul is laboring here to show them the folly of their apostasy. His argument goes something like this. In rejecting the gospel, you are rejecting God. And this other gospel you are now embracing is no gospel at all. And these false teachers that you are following are leading you into eternal destruction under the covenantal wrath of God. The apostle does not speak this way because he finds some kind of pleasure in being a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Maybe you know some preachers like that. This is not the Apostle Paul. He loves these believers. 
He loves them dearly. And his rebuke here is permeated with grace. It's a gracious gospel rebuke. He is seeking to woo them back to Christ in whom alone is a free and full salvation for sinful man. Brothers and sisters, may may this gospel rebuke cause us to cling more heartily to Christ and His truth. May it produce sobriety in our hearts. As long as this present evil age continues, the God of this age, Satan himself, is working tirelessly. He's working tirelessly to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his chief work to keep sinners from beholding the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And one primary way that he fulfills this work is by deceiving men into believing a different gospel. A gospel which is really no gospel at all. There are many so-called gospels in our day. Counterfeit, deceptive, soul-damning messages which claim to be Christian, but are radically opposed to the preaching of Christ and His apostles. There's the prosperity gospel, which proclaims temporal, earthly blessings of health, wealth, success, and happiness to those who believe. There's the sacramental gospel of the Roman Catholic Church, which adds to the work of Christ other means through Rome's sacraments to atone for sins. There's the liberal gospel wearing many faces, which proclaims Christ merely as a good moral teacher whom we are to follow ethically. And a form of this gospel is even embraced by many so-called conservative Christians who believe that they are going to heaven because they are essentially good people who are just doing their best to follow Jesus and be the best people they can possibly be. In the midst of a world full of gospel perversions, you and I, friends, we have the one true saving gospel. We have it. By this gospel, God has called us. If, if you're a Christian today, by this gospel, God has called you, you, through the preaching, into the fellowship of His Son, into the grace of Christ. And through this gospel, through the Christ who is offered in this gospel, you have been reconciled to God. You've been delivered from the covenantal wrath of God. How our hearts, friends, ought to swell with gratitude as we think about this. All the deception and the airs that we could have fallen after and gone after and left to ourselves, we would have. And yet, we're here. We're here And so many of us have had the eyes of our minds opened 
by the Spirit. And God has preserved us. And He's continuing to illumine our minds and hearts. We ought to be filled with, with gratitude. This gospel that we have been entrusted with is the greatest of all treasures because this gospel is nothing less than Christ Himself. Christ our Lord is the gospel. And so may we, brothers and sisters, may we cherish Him. May we cling to Him as our salvation. Let's pray. Great God, we thank You that You have been so kind to us. Lord, we think of what we were in Adam and how You have called not a few of us by the Gospel into the grace of Your beloved Son. Lord, so many lies, so many airs swirling about us in this world and You have plucked us out of it and, and caused Your truth to be known within our minds and our hearts. You have worked faith in us to believe it. We thank You for this. Lord, we pray that You would increase our faith. And for those here tonight who do not know this Christ, who do not know this grace, who have not had the eyes of their minds open, Lord, I pray that You would graciously work faith in their hearts and that You would help them to see the glory of the Savior and that it is in Him alone that sinners can be reconciled to God. Please be with us tonight, Lord. We need You. We need Your grace. We cannot persevere and press on apart from Your preservation of us. And so we pray for Your Spirit towards this end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.